Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hi, you road to growth listeners. Today, I got Martin Sines. Uh, he is the managing partner and co-founder of Bequest Funds. Thank you, Martin, for being here. Yeah, Vinny, much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so, so walk us through, what does uh, uh, Bequest Funds do? Yeah, so uh, Bequest Funds is an income fund um, whereby we purchase performing mortgages from across the United States and uh, receive money in monthly from homeowners on these properties. And we in turn pay our investors out on a monthly basis. Okay. Now, have you always kind of been into like the, the mortgage real estate fields or what's your background? Yeah. So I have a small business background. Um, so I can talk about entrepreneurism all day. Um, my wife and I founded a government contracting company in the two thousands and uh, we later sold that company. But in terms of real estate, um, I've been a buy and hold um, investor since 09 and still manage a portfolio of commercial and residential properties, mainly in the D.C. area. Um, however, uh, I became um, I, op I opened up a hedge fund that uh, that purchased mortgages from the secondary mortgage market in 2013. So the past nine years, I I've really just been focused on purchasing mortgages. <clears throat> So growing up, is, was your family in like kind of the entrepreneur mindset? Were they in real estate? I mean, where did this I mean this come from? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, my parents, um, you know, they they were migrant workers actually growing up. So they they didn't have the entrepreneurial bone, so to speak. And so so they grew up poor, um, you know, however, they kind of managed to uh, work their way up. Uh, my dad, you know, through the Marine Corps gave him really a, a lease on life and he was able to get a, a master's degree and work uh, as a computer scientist. And so, you know, um, you know, they worked a job and my mom was a school teacher for 30 years. And so um, not so much the entrepreneurism. Uh, however, I kind of had it early on because I, I just did a ver various activities, was always doing things for money, was always, you know, selling candy at school um, in middle school to kids for money. I was always working jobs and and just kind of focused on money more than academics I, uh, than I should have been at least. What now talking about your parents being migrant workers and then accumulating enough funds for your father to go back to school. I mean, how old were you like kind of in this window of time? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I was, uh, I was adopted actually in, uh, at when they were 30, about 30. Okay. Yeah. My sister and I were adopted. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it's at. Um, but really what kind of took me over the edge into entrepreneurism was uh, getting fired from a corporate job. So I went and got an MBA and, and I actually got a second master's degree in project management. So I, I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to go be a consultant. I wanted to be that high earning individual that, that you know, everyone kind of longs to be where you got the six figure salary and the benefits and all that. And, and uh, what I found was that I was really horrible at uh, corporate America. It, I, I didn't play politics well. Um, and I just kind of wanted to do uh, be on my own and do my own thing. So um, end result, I got fired. 
I know. I know. Yeah, I keep on charming back at your childhood and your parents. I mean, the reason why I do that is just the idea that I mean, migrant workers from. I mean, there, there's usually if if your parents were in that field and doing that hard work, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I usually hear from people that have had kind of a similar situation, is they usually balance their kind of life compared to their parents and what they were able to kind of grow up with. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I'm just trying to get to, to the mindset of it all. Yeah. I mean, at, at 30 years old, did your father already graduate from school? Did he walk you through kind of, Hey, you know what? We had to do this. You have it so lucky. I mean, was, what kind of conversations were, were coming about? Well, I think, um, you know, you know, my parents, um, <clears throat> I remember, you know, they would tell me about being in the fields without shoes on and it was freezing cold. And, uh, and, and the field owners, you know, they, they would, they would not pay them when, when money was due. And so all these kinds of horrific stories. Um, but what I would say, and I think what, uh, where, where, where my parents kind of laid, um, the most on me in terms of, uh, uh, character and kind of, you know, how, how I developed was my father, um, you know, joining the Marine Corps early at 21 and or I, I'm sorry, at 18. And that really just kind of transformed him. And so a lot of those principles he learned in the Marine Corps, he kind of transferred to me, you know, waking up early, um, being prompt, uh, having integrity. And, um, yeah, just a lot of these kind of characteristics I've kind of later, you know, put into play as, as a business owner. And then you, you talk about the idea at a young age that you were looking more at, at making money than probably schooling, right? When or, or why did you kind of push forward and go get your MBA? Was it internally? Was it something else? I mean, if you had that entrepreneurial mindset of making money at a young age, there had to be something behind the idea of schooling. Yeah, school, you know, K through 12 was a horrible experience for me in terms of, uh, you know, I, I didn't learn. I'm, I'm kind of like buggy as na in nature. So I couldn't just sit there and just memorize um, content. It's just not how I learn. I learned by doing, I learned by being active. Um, it, I, I learned by being kind of engaged, being motivated financially. It's just how I was always was. And so, um, you know, school was about, you know, spelling bee contest and, and things like, and it just wasn't my thing. Um, plus I've always been collaborative. I like to work with other people and, uh, you know, schooling doesn't really foster that, um, especially in the public school setting. So, um, so I think I got out of that and then went into college and I, I majored in philosophy for undergrad. So that really opened me up because uh, I'm more of a humanities uh, uh, type person, um, you know, just how I think of things. I'm naturally curious. So I just took up a lo love of learning from from that point on. What did you have any thoughts of not going to college and just trying to go into the, the business world or start something? Did you ever have that um, idea of kind of weighing it out? So I have no regrets on the philosophy degree because it really got me engaged with the humanities and opening my mind to, to just thinking differently. However, I do, I do, uh, if I, I'm not one to regret, but, um, 
I do uh, wish that I didn't do my business degrees. I wish I would have just gone straight into business for myself because I, I was feeling like I did have an entrepreneurial uh, bone um, to me after getting the philosophy degree. And the philosophy degree was, you know, it's a very cruel world when you get one of those degrees. You know, the world kind of the marketplace kind of sets you straight, so to speak, after you after you get that. So I should have just figured it out then uh, in hindsight. Well, why did you go to go to college I mean, to get a philosophy degree? I mean, why do you remember what the um, the rationale behind it of going to college? Yeah, so I, I initially went there um, and I did a dual major. I was majored as a, in um, accounting and philosophy. So I figured, you know, philosophy was my love, and but it wasn't going to pay me any money, and accounting was going to pay the bills. I, I don't know, yeah, you know, I just that was the thought at the time for a nineteen year old kid. Um, but what my philosophy um, professor told me early on, he said, um, he said, you're, you're just going to drop accounting soon because, because he, you know, he kind of figured, you know, philosophy is just, you know, it's, it's a total immersion. And, and I did that. I dropped accounting and, and just went well, straight with philosophy. Well, well the question I, I'm getting to is, I mean, you didn't have to go to college, right? You didn't have to go to college. Yeah. And, and I, I think the way you're, um relaying it to me it's a foregone conclusion you were going to go to college it's just a matter of figuring out what the degree was so there are probably and i actually had someone on the other day that talked about it he was african-american he goes his family looked at it the way it's a foregone conclusion you're going to go to college and for him it was fighting against the idea of being an entrepreneur and actually dropping out of college but it was a foregone conclusion in his background that he had to go to college that makes sense yeah yeah it does yeah un understood um yeah i i went through all four years because i just picked up a love of learning with okay. um yeah re reading uh english literature and and other kind of thought-provoking books so, and so it was just a love of learning that, so to go there initially to college was a foregone conclusion you had to go to college there was no way that you weren't going to go to college and go into the the business world correct yeah, I think um, yeah, I, I didn't have uh, I didn't have the thought that I would be in the business world with a philosophy degree. I figured I'd be in. Well, no, I'm talking about even before that, before like well, when you graduated from high school, right? I mean, so you don't have to go to college after you graduate from high school. Correct. Right? And, correct. And, yeah. And, and so it, it sounds like it was you had no choice in the matter. You're going to college, right? Yeah. It's a matter of what degree you're going to have, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. So you, so you basically had to choose what degree, and and then once you actually chose the philosophy degree, you started finding a love for schooling and learning from there, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. However, I kind of view things differently um, okay. at this point. So I have four children, and um, and, and you know, there's always talks about. Um, 529 student programs and where you can kind of pay for college in advance and everything else. But I'm not an advocate for college like I was before. I, okay. I think it's the child's choice. And uh, I think um, college doesn't provide the value that it once did. If it ever did, it, maybe it was just in my mind. And yeah. if someone wants to go out and start a business, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be full blown support of that for the child. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the perception of college, I mean, even when you go to college can play a drastic effect on your life. I think I remember someone saying that when you, if you go to college right after high school, you only remember, you only retain about 20% of what you take away. 
But if you work and then go back to college, that percentage goes up fairly drastically. Yeah. Anytime you're, you're, you know, you're a little heavier weighted on the work, on the work, um, side of things, then you're, you're just more serious or, yeah. 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 So, so you're, um, you get your degree, you go into, go into the world and you, you start, you start working out there. When, when did you actually start realizing that it's possible for you to invest in, in property and, um, was it the friends you're around? Was it a class you went to, or when did you start realizing it was possible for, for you to invest in properties? I think, I think, um, so I graduated uh, college when I was in, um, in 1995. So this, this was a while ago. And, and so what I realized is that, um, you know, people are not going to pay me based on my college degree or, or skills that I learned with philosophy, but they are going to pay me with, with my, with moving my jawbone. And so, um, so I just learned that, Hey, you know, I'm a pretty good talker. Um, you know, I'm kind of, um, I think I come off genuine to some extent and people kind of like me for the most part. So I get along with people and I know, I know how to read people. So I think that's my biggest strength is just knowing how to read people and kind of uh, adjusting my approach accordingly. So I got a job as a mortgage loan officer. And uh, so I got kind of um, my first dose of the mortgage industry slash real estate industry with that job. So you're a mortgage, uh, a mortgage lender originator. You're working the files. How long after you got into that field did you actually look to purchase your own property? Or did you buy a property before you actually got into the field or what did it look like? It was a while down the road because um, I didn't buy, I didn't buy my first investment or first property till 06. And then oh, wow. I didn't, uh, I didn't buy my first investment property, which was a commercial building until 09. Oh, wow. So, so there was a good time where, where I figured, see, I was in mortgage loan officer and I just thought like, Oh, this is great. You know, and I just got a taste of the business community. And I said, let me go back for my MBA. Cause that's what, you know, when you're in the business world, it's always about the MBA and you're like, I'll, you know, you think, Oh, I'm going to get my MBA and I'm going to do double as good as I'm doing now or something like that. It's going to, it's going to enhance where, whatever situation I'm in currently. And, um, so I did, I got, I, I got that. And then I got, uh, I managed the call center for Sears and, uh, and, you know, hundred, I had 125 people under me and, um, it was, it was just like hell on earth. I'd say it's probably the best way to put it. I hated every minute of it. And, uh, but I tried to be the corporate guy and then, and then, you know, I mentioned what happened with that. So you were a mortgage originator. For how many years do you remember um about three to four years okay so mostly commission-based you might have had some kind of draw or something like that mm -hmm. right okay and then you go get your mba and then go into the corporate world now you have a steady paycheck yes right? yep. okay how, how did i mean how did that feel to have that steady paycheck again against basically uh commission base well, I was just broke all the time. I mean, when I did mortgage loan origination, I, yeah. I was doing better financially. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, it's always better when, when more money's coming in. But then when you have a, a steady salary job, um, you know, you're you're um, you're broke all the time. I mean, that's it. Like the tax man takes, you know, 40 percent. And then uh, and then, you know, just everyone's just kind of picking off your 
picking off your your paycheck bone and uh there's not much left each and every time and then you're waiting for a christmas bonus that's only going to give you a few thousands like well what are you going to do with that and so um so yeah i mean I always like the situation where, um, you know, I'm getting paid for the value that I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. And um, if no one's going to pay me for that, then I'll just pay, pay myself, right? Start my own company. I mean, when you, I mean, so I've had a lot of people on here that have been in the, um, the corporate world. They're getting that state, city paycheck, right? And then they're transitioning to basic commission base, starting their business. And now it's, they only eat what they basically kill, right? Yeah uh you already had a feel of that at a younger age right so you had a feel yes. for a couple of years of how that felt most of the people i have on here that are in the corporate world their corporate world and then when they transition over it's basically brand new to them so and sometimes the unknown you can kind of sell yourself oh this is going to be really great it's really easy yet you knew that it was not going to be it couldn't be all all greener pastures so how were you telling yourself how are you setting yourself up for success when you did transition out transition out to entrepreneurism yeah well i was fired so so i had yeah fired so it was uh so my wife and i we just we collectively said you know we can never do that again i'm not built that way um we need to do our own business my wife had already been reading you know kiyosaki books and uh so she was already of the mindset like let's just do something for ourselves and and the best thing that i've had in my life has been my wife and and she's been my rock and she's encouraged me given me encouragement and wisdom all along the way to just you know do for myself and uh, i can you know sky's the limit and fear is the hardest thing right i i think you talk to people enough and you yourself you know are a business professional it's like fear um people working corporate jobs that transition into entrepreneurism you know how much fear is you have in your heart is gonna is gonna determine you know likely likelihood of success um you know how the road that you build for yourself to entrepreneurism are you going to half step it are you going to totally immerse um can you quit your job you know are you are you too fearful to quit your job and just start your own business the next day you know what would prevent you from doing that do you think if you didn't get fired that you would have uh left or gone on the path you're on yeah i would have been there i would have been there because uh Cause yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's interesting, you know, so, so many, I forget what percentage I was reading this the other day, it's like a huge percentage of people that have jobs in this country, hate their jobs in in the U S and so, um, what, what is preventing those individuals from leaving and doing something else, either self-employed or, or getting a new job, it's fear. I'd say it's just fear. So the ones that overcome the fear are the ones that and put in the work, right? Overcome the fear and then put in the work. Those are the ones that win, so to speak, if, you know, if you can kind of put it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the unknown is always fear. I mean, the unknown of not where the, where the next paycheck's going to come, the unknown of a, a lot of things. Do you, was there ever a point in building, in building your, your, your business, right? That you thought about going back to the corporate world or trying to find, mm-hmm. So never going back. Okay. No, no. I, my, my wife would tell me that, that she would, she would sleep in a car with me under a bridge. Wow. And, and so, um, that, that's the level of commitment we had. You know, I, I, I think at that point I said, I, I would, and, and this is not, 
uh, criticism to anyone who has a hot dog stand, but I used, used to say I, I would operate a hot dog stand before I'd go back to a corporate job. I mean, that that's how much of a, you know, disdain I had for it. So, so it's almost like you have to be so sick, right? Like you're yeah. that person that, that that's an abusive relationship. I don't know, like get Tony Robbins on you, but like, you know, and then you just, you just, you hate it so much. And that just the thought of it is just repulsive. I mean, and, the, the, the tough part about it, I mean, I've had people on this that have been in abusive relationships. And when you're in that relationship, in that job, whatever it might be, that mindset of you kind of need it. You're not good enough for something more. And yeah. so you start looking down upon yourself. I guess for, for yourself is once you find found some level of success, you basically knew that you're you're good enough. You're you could make it. And I guess right. Yeah, yeah, and it's very there's there's so many parallels. I mean, you know, it starts starts with like building a new inner circle for yourself. Like, who are you spending time with at work? Are they are they bitching and complaining all day? Are they you know distracting you from from keeping focused or are they people that are kind of uplifting and giving you words of encouragement? Like who do you spend time with offline? Uh, Kiyosaki, I'll bring it back to Kiyosaki because yes. you know he's the man. You know I he tell, he changed my life when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. But you know he always talks about you know what you do in your off time will determine who you are as a person. And, and so not not when you're at work, but how are you spending time outside work? You know, are you still disciplined? Are you still, you know, are you still kind of moving forward? Are you reading books? Are you educating your mind? Or are you goofing off? Are you drinking, drinking at the bar, happy hour? Are you, you know, waste goofing off with people and so on? Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's true. I mean, um, man, who was it? Jim Rome. He talks about the similar idea of, I think when he was younger, he looked at uh, um, two people that were both working, I guess, and one was making more than the other one. And he just like, ideas, basically the value that you put inside yourself is the yeah. value you're getting back. And, you know, that you can make more money just by putting more value into yourself and working on yourself. And yeah, no, I totally agree. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everything's value driven. Like, um, you know, with uh, with employers, I mean, anybody who works a job can if you put some thought into it and you have a reasonable employer, um, you know, you can think of ways to bring more value to that individual. And, and Jim Rome is like, that's, that's what he's all about. He's all about the value mission mm -hmm. and bring, bring more value. That's why Johnny's getting paid, you know, 10 times more than Jack. And so oh, exactly. I mean, so in, in building, in, in building your, your company, um, I mean, what has been the biggest learning curve? What has been the, the biggest hurdle for you? Um, I'd say, uh, I'd say it's different now, um, before, uh, with the government contracting company, it, it was a blue collar, a workforce for the most part. Um, we did a lot of museum exhibit work. And so, um, the structure that the toughness there was, you had to have a lot of structure. You had to be rigid. You had to, uh, you know, pee, you know, someone would come in, you know, drunk or someone would come in, you know, not come in or something like that. And so you had to have a lot of structure in place, you know, do the culture thing, you know, have a good culture and all that and everything okay. else. And now the is I'm kind of building. There, huh? What's that? But the margins are pretty good there. Government work. It's federal contract. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uncle Sam is the, <laughs> the biggest buyer of goods and services in the world. If you know what you're doing and you can sell on a prime level, it's highly lucrative. Um, but understand that it's very taxing because you're dealing with bureaucrats all day. <laughs> it's, 
before I got into real estate, I started building this brand. Uh, I was a part of a construction um, company and they had eight, a set aside, small yeah. business, those kind of things. And the margins were just, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and and you have to be you have to be if you're 8A, I mean, you're going to be you're going to be the um prime contractor and that's where you have to be. And because the it, the closer you are to the end customer, the more profitable your business is going to be regardless yeah. of the industry. That's always the mm -hmm. case. So, there's a lot of tier 2, tier 3 players and they yeah. never they never see the end customer. They never engage or build the relationship with them. So, you're just beholden upon the scraps that the prime contractor gives you. Well, that's interesting. We'll put it. I've never heard anyone say that before. So, the closer you are to the customer, the 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 better the margins you're going to be. I, I wrote a book on it. Um, well, called Secrets to Winning Government Contracts. And that I wrote a book about my experience with selling to the federal government as a prime federal contractor. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that book sells more than the four other books I wrote on the note on the mortgage note industry. <laughs> so everyone wants to sell to Uncle Sam. What, um, what's the name of that book? Uh, Secrets to Winning Government Contracts. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll make sure that's in the show notes, all the different books that you have, uh, so we can uh, make sure. Well, let's so so buying notes on the secondary market. I mean, where did that idea come from? So, you you know, um, having kind of gone through selling the the government contracting company in two thousand thirteen, um, buy and hold investing since oh nine, um, I got to the point where where um, the buy and hold investments didn't produce the cash flow that that met my financial aspirations. I mean, it's a great annuity play. You're you have you have all these 15 year mortgages on commercial property that, by the way, are almost all paid off, if not paid off right now for me and my wife. So so great play financially. However, um, you know, the monthly cash flow is where it's at. So I made a transition in my life where I just said, look, um, I want to build more freedom of time in my life. That's what's more significant to me. So um, that's it. before that I was, um, I think I was more superficial. I was more about, I was more about the money. I was more focused, like I'm making money, I'm making money. But then, but then I wasn't feeding my soul. I was spiritually and I wasn't, you know, being the best husband that I could be, you know, we just had a child. I wasn't being the best father because I wasn't there enough or I was doing proposals till midnight or something like that. So no more of that. I said, I want to build freedom of time in my life and I want to do something of service to others. So I got into the mortgage note industry buying mortgages that were distressed. Homeowner hadn't made a payment in four or five years. I would get on the phone. I would say, hey, look, you know, you're supposed to pay 500 a month. What happened? Oh, I had a divorce or I had a health issue. Okay, great. Well, understood all that. Is everything better now? Oh yeah. It's that, ha you know, it got better two years ago. Well, you know, oh, 500 is owed. Can you do 400? Oh yeah, I could do 400 and, and say, well, since I bought the mortgage loan at a discount, I'm able to make concessions to help the homeowners stay in their homes. So my whole mission for the past nine years has been to help homeowners stay in their homes with payments they can afford while making a profit for my company. And that's my whole world. And then from that, um, we, we launched a new fund called BQuest funds last year, whereby before it was private, 
so past nine years, it's a private hedge fund, just myself, my partner own it. And so now we said, well, let's open this up to investors. So we launched Bequest Funds, the income fund, and whereby we're bringing on accredited investors and pay them out on a monthly basis. With, um, so when you're originally buying the, the note, um, at, I mean, a, a lower, a lower price, um, were you only buying the first position? Or are you oh, so, oh first and second. Oh and, okay. and with yeah, with with more of a preference towards the second mortgages. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing, right? Because you think um you you know there's more security in the first lien position, right? It's yeah. ahead of the of the junior lien. Um, with that said, there's a saying in our industry, and that is seconds are first. And why that saying exists is because the, the senior lien mortgage opportunities that exist in the secondary mortgage market generally are tied to significantly lower fair market value properties. Hmm. So you may find a $100,000 you know, first mortgage and you're like, great, that is in first lien position. There's no back taxes, no tax lien, you know, tax liens on the property. Uh, you know, I'm in the, the, the cat bird seed and I'm good to go. Yeah, but the property is only worth 125. Hmm. And by the way, in that in that neighborhood, if um, you know if you have to foreclose and take back the property, you know that that property owner may leave with the HVAC and all the copper and everything else. And so now that buck 25 is now looking like 65. Yeah, you know, sold at the auction. And so you have those scenarios that exist that are very prevalent in the senior lien space. Um, but the average fair market value of the, of the property um you know held as collateral against the mortgage notes we buy is three hundred and eleven thousand dollars so this is a good property in suburbia or tertiary markets across the united states in hoa type communities and uh you you get a you tend to get a better quality um homeowner and a better quality property as a result and you still have full equity coverage i mean our, our mortgages are you know all have full equity coverage so if we do have to foreclose which we do everything not to foreclose we'll have equity coverage back in our position where, where do you and I, I know your your mission i guess your in your goal has been to buy the uh the note at a, at a lower price and then assist basically the homeowner at a lower price i mean if we're talking let's say in in, in five years from now I mean, where are you going to be? Where's your company going to be? Yeah, so um, we're 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 just growing. I mean, we're we have two sides of the business. We have the hedge, the private hedge fund side, which buys the distressed mortgages and helps the homeowners, as as I mentioned. While you know, while we make profit, we're in business from making money. And then we have the Bequest Fund side, which only buys performing senior performing mortgages throughout the United States. So, so these mortgages are already vetted and performing when they come into Bequest funds and we pay out our investors. So I, I would say, um, you know, in five years, I would just, um, you know, 5X, 10X where we're at now. You know, we're just, we're just growing both sides of the business because that's where all our systems are built for. Mm -hmm. And we want to keep focused, right? Jim Rome, right? Our guy, keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's what we're doing. Uh, I'm assuming you're you're all over the United States, correct? Correct. Okay. H has there been any kind of 
difficulty in from one state to the next state based off of i mean the foreclosure process anything like that or has it been pretty easy to flow throughout the united states yeah so we buy based on we buy based on the property and and just making sure that the the property valuation comes in where we need it we we um <clears throat> we research the borrower and their ability to pay so anything a traditional origin originating lending institution does we do on the back end in the secondary space when we're vetting these mortgages so we want to know can the borrower pay and what's the property look like and you know, do we have full equity coverage so so for with that said we will buy all throughout the united states and what's interesting about that is that is that yes there's some states that have longer lead times with foreclosure there's some states that are that are you know non-judicial and quick to the punch you know 60 days you're in and out however in our in our private hedge fund you know i'm, I'm this is recorded right yeah it's a private hedge fund where we only buy distressed mortgage debt we foreclose less than two percent of the time oh wow a majority a vast majority of the time we are loan modifying or we are getting paid off or we are getting reinstatement and that is attributed to our team and our culture whereby we treat the homeowner with compassion we treat them with transparency we give them multiple options so they have ownership over the decision we work with them, we review their financials, so we don't give them a plan that they cannot afford, because if they cannot afford it, guess what? They're not gonna pay it. Yeah. And so and so our asset managers will treat you like family, and they build, their, their mission is to build deep-rooted relationships with the homeowners, because we view the homeowners as gold and, and as our customer base for our company. So if you do that, just, just, just think of that, right? Like that, that simple idea. I mean, tell like the airlines, this or something like newsflash, like if you treat your customers like gold and you build a culture around treating your customers like gold and where you're finding their needs and wants and you're attending to it. And, and uh, I, I mean, your sky's the limit for any business. If let's say someone's listening right now and you know, they're they're looking to get into to the real estate field they're looking to get into um basically buying notes and i i'm going to direct them to your book and thank you if if they're the note investing books not this, <laughs> the government contract uh is there any kind of like nugget that you could maybe maybe get them excited about your book i know if they listen to the whole thing there's going to be excitement already there and is there any specific uh words of wisdom yeah, my book is my my books are written for the inner entrepreneur. They give you um, my systems. They give you um, what my day to day looks like. They give you, uh, you know, how to source deal flow, um, how to how to put together, uh, you know, a due diligence team so that you're buying, you're buying, you're you know what you're buying before you buy, and uh, you have you can uh, have an anticipated return on, on investment. Um, before you purchase, um, how to how to build that company culture we talked about with your asset management as you as you are doing portfolio management. So so the book is is very much the books are very much how to, and, th and that's just my style. I, there's very little fluff, I, I would say. Well, I'm going to finish it off with uh, this question. I mean, are your are your parents still alive? Yes. Okay. How do they feel about? all that you've accomplished um, 
I mean, from all these years, uh, what's their feedback? What's their idea? I mean, I, my guess is they probably didn't even think it was possible when you first started on this path, but. Yeah, I, I just would say that, um, you know, God bless them for the life they've lived and kind of, you know, raising, raising this knucklehead of a son. Um, they're accredited investors and they're in our fund. And right. so that means that that's just awesome. I mean, that's a kind of an awesome kind of ending to, uh, I mean, the story's not ended, but I mean, that's just kind of a, a great point to be in where, you know, from migrant worker to accredited investor, I mean, what are the odds? And, and for them to be in the fund and kind of celebrate the successes of BeQuest funds. And so when we say it's a family fund, I mean, I got my aunts in the fund. Um, I'm deeply invested in the fund as well as my partner. So we're, we're all code red committed to what we're doing here. Well, well, thank you, Martin, for, for being on the, the podcast, The Road to Growth. Uh, everyone listening, please subscribe, go get Martin's book. We're going to make sure it's in the show notes, all four of the books. Uh, so you can, you want to get some government contracts and, and you're in the construction <laughs> business. I mean, it takes a little while to, to get yourself together, but if you can get government work, it's fantastic. And I mean, all the other books, I, I know I'm going to be looking and I'm going to have a, a tough choice on my hands to see which one I start with. Oh, so, goodness. <laughs> I'll give you a nugget on government contracting. Sure. Um, you know, start with a start with a search of government facilities in your local market, Air Force bases, um, you know, various DOD installations, um, civilian agencies, and and go approach them with a one-page capability statement, which I talk about in Secrets to Winning Government Contracts, and and try to get micro purchase work. So that's work that they can purchase with their credit cards where they don't need to get authorization and they can spend as much as they want. But what that will do is they'll build your past performance with those agencies and help you, you know, parlay that into, into larger contracts. Love it. Well, thank you guys. Uh, please subscribe to the road to growth. Uh, tell your friends, but more importantly, go get one of Martin's book. And then once you get one, get the next one, the next one, the next one, so on and so forth. But thank you guys. Please subscribe, please share and have a great one. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.